He's worthy of praise and adoration. Amen. Glory to God. Praise the name of the Lord. Our children are dismissed to Kids Dome. And um, if you would open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 12. The book of Mark chapter 12. And our kids, again, are dismissed to Kids Dome. Praise the name of the Lord. There's nothing like the presence of the Lord. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 12 and verse 28. We'll begin there. When you got it, say so. And the word of the Lord says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of heaven. But after that, no one dared, ask, no one dared question him. Amen. But we thank you for your word today that is truth. We thank you because we know that you are an all-wise, almighty, all-powerful God. We thank you for the abundant reminder of your love in this place. We thank you because you remind us that you are stronger than anything that we're facing, that you are greater than any trial that may be in our lives. And Lord, we thank you because we know that you are with us in all things. And so we give you glory and honor for that, Lord. And we pray this morning that even as we look into your word today, as we continue, Lord God, looking at this reality of who you are and our love towards you, I pray that you would open our minds, that you would open our hearts, that you would fill us with the grace to respond to you in faith, God, that we would not be idle hearers of it, but I pray that you captivate our hearts, that you captivate our minds today, and I ask you to be glorified in us, Lord God. I pray all of these things in Jesus' good name. Someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So if you do not have an outline, please raise your hand and just keep your hand up for a moment, and that way the ushers can get you one. Just keep your hand up. They'll find you. Don't put it down until you have an outline in your hand. That'll make it easier on all of us. So we are continuing in our series, our core four series. And so, again, I want to reiterate the reason why we, why we give these outlines is because we want you to be able to follow along with the first part of the sermon. And we also want you to be able to take notes. That's important to me, that you write down some things and that you get your mind into the scriptures. It helps me to remember stuff. You know, as I've gotten a little bit older, I have a good memory. But still, you know, as I've gotten a little bit older, I find that a little note here and there makes me remember a little bit better. Amen? And so ultimately, I think that that's good for us. And so as I said the other Sunday, you know, I may say 10,000 things and there may be one specific thing that stands out to you. But don't sleep on the other you know, thousand things, right, that are being spoken. So it's important that we engage there. And the other thing that's important for me is that you answer those questions that are on the outline. That's really important for yourself, for you to grow as a Christian. And then also what I encourage you to do is to utilize what you're learning. I believe firmly that we should all be making disciples. Are you here? It's not just our job, my job to make disciples. It's not just the spiritual people's job to make disciples. It is every disciple's job to make disciples. God didn't call you just to come and save you from hell, but he called you into a relationship with him so you could help others know him, right? So you could help others grow in the grace and knowledge of who Jesus is. And one of the ways that you can do that is by simply sitting down with someone throughout your week and, you know, break bread with them, have lunch with them, and go over the things that you heard on Sunday and the things that you're learning, and that will help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
All right, so we're going to continue on here, and we are in the last of the first part of the Core 4 series. And so for those of you that have been here since week one, guess what? You finished the first one today. Amen. So you're doing a good job so far. We've, we've looked at a few things. If you look at your outline here, for, um, so thus far we have looked at God as the object of our affection. We spent two weeks on that because obviously God could, we could just talk just about God alone. I mean, we talk about him every week, but ultimately we could talk about his character. We could talk about who he is. And we could do that for years and days, but what we did was we tried to pack everything in to two weeks, and so we dealt with that. And then we looked at the gospel last week as the motivation for our affection. And so I appreciate, I want to say this, I appreciate you hanging with me last week. That was a little bit, a little bit, a little bit longer than normal. Glory to God. And so we had a lot of scripture to cover, a lot of ground to cover, but I appreciate you sticking with me and not walking out on me. Amen. And, and, and I didn't see any of y'all falling asleep, so you did a good job on that. Um, and then today we're going to look at obedience obedience as the measure of our affection. And so again, I want to reiterate this. We looked at God as the object. He is the one that we worship. He is the one that we adore. He is the one that we bring glory to. Can you lower this mic a little bit, please? He is the one that we give praise and adoration to. And so it's important that we focus on him, that our worship is of the one true God, that our worship is not of something that we make up in our own mind, right? But it is something that we, when we worship, that we know who we are worshiping, that we're not like the Samaritan woman at the well, that we're not like the people of Athens who didn't know who they worshiped. They had an altar to the unknown God, but we want to know who we worship. And so that's very important. He is the object. I don't worship other things. You don't worship other things. We worship God Almighty. And then we want to realize that we don't just love God because of how great he is, but we love him because of how loving he is, because of how kind he is, because of how merciful he is in coming to this earth in the form of a man, dying in our place, shedding his blood for sinners, dying for us so that way we would not have to experience eternal condemnation, but we could be in a relationship with God. And so that's what we dealt with last week. And this week, I want to really um, focus in here on the measure of our affection, right? I, I want us to talk about that. And if you look down at your outline here, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, it declares that we are his, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Say good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Say walk in them. And so for those of you that were here for our Ephesians series, our Walk Worthy series, we learned that we are supposed to walk worthy, right? There's a certain way that we are supposed to walk as believers. And so as believers, we are accountable to God and should realize these good works that we are called to walk in begin with obedience to the written word of God, and we will give an account for our actions or inactions while upon this earth. Now, one thing that I want you to get, and I want you to get this deep in your heart, is that just because, and I, and I will always reiterate this, we are saved by grace. Just because we are saved by grace and we can do nothing to earn our salvation does not mean that once you say a prayer or once you um, cry some tears and say, God, I commit my life to you, that that is the end of the story. Understand this, that while I'm not worried, Jason Quinones is not worried about being judged for my sins because Jesus already experienced the wrath for my sins. What I am concerned about is going before God and him saying to me, well done, good and faithful servant, right? I want to hear him say that I've accomplished all that he has given me to accomplish. And that should be the same thing that is within your heart and my heart as believers. Why? Because it says here, again, Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship. Okay, he has worked some things into us. He saved us so that way we would walk in these good works. And I'm going to tell you what, our God is the best investor, Amen. And when he invests in someone, he expects a return. He doesn't expect to invest in you and get nothing back. Amen? I'm just saying, he wants something out of our lives. And so that is what? Glory to his name. So here we go, last, last paragraph here. As we consider the need to measure our love or affection for God, it should be understood that measured love is not to be confused with earned salvation. I'll say that again. Measured love is not to be confused with earned salvation. When we're talking about works, I had a really good question in our vision carrier class. I think it was the first week, and someone asked a question. They said, well, if you can't, it's on our second week. He said, if you can't earn your salvation, then why should we do good stuff? Why should we do works, right? Why, why should we do that? And the reason is not because we are trying to secure ourselves. See, some of us, and I can tell you, I can confess personally, when, you know, when I first got saved, I felt like everything that I did was something that was securing me in heaven, right? Like, like I felt, and, and, I, and I didn't necessarily vocalize this or even really think about it this way uh, until I started growing in my Christianity, and I started to realize that I started to start I started to boast in my own righteousness. 
I started to think, I started to feel like I was saved because I was acting saved. Hello, somebody. I started to feel like I was, you know, I knew I was going to heaven because of how I was living. It was about me. It wasn't secure in Christ. And so here's the thing that I want you to get is that we are secured in Christ, but we need to, listen, and when I say need to, I mean we need to consider the reality that God did not save us just to leave us where we are. It is a truth. You can come to God, you can come to God as you are, but let me tell you something. You're not going to stay as you are. Are you here? You come to God, that is a true statement. You come, don't wait, because I remember when I, you know, before I became a Christian and stuff like that, I was waiting to get things right before I came to Jesus. I was waiting until I stopped doing this, stopped doing that, stopped doing the next thing. I think I told you all this. One time I was sitting in a, in a, in a detention center, and, 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 a, and, a, and a precious, you know, old lady, you know, they had a prison ministry, you know, it wasn't really prison, you know, juvenile delinquents, that's what I was. They came, they came to this, you know, and, and, and I, look, I wouldn't even go to church when I was not in, you know, in, in there, right? But I was going to church because I'm in here, so I got to go do something. Went to church, and church wasn't like here. You know, we didn't get up and start clapping and stuff like that. It was little tables, and you sat down, and, you know, someone spoke to you. And so little old lady sitting, out, sitting across the way from me, and she's having a conversation. And, you know, I'm thinking I'm going to get preached to, and she's asking me. She's like, so, you know, what do you know about this? She starts, te- you know, asking me all of these probing questions. And, you know, I was raised in church, right? So I had all the, que- all the answers to the questions. And at the end of the conversation, after like 30 minutes, she said to me, she said, so why is it that you're not a Christian? And I said, well, I need to stop drinking, smoking, and other things that I won't talk about here, right? I need to stop doing all that stuff. And she was like, no. She said, you need to let God allow to him, him to work in your heart so he can liberate you from all of those things. I was like, oh, okay, that sounds good. So I prayed a prayer, right? Said a prayer. After that, I, I laid down in, in, in my room, and I prayed unto the Lord, and I said, God, I just, you know, I made this prayer today, and if you get me out of here, I promise you I'll never do any of that stuff again. I was 16 years old when I said that. I didn't get saved until right before I was 18, so I was lying. Hello, somebody. But here is the reality. The reality is that what she said was true. I can't liberate myself. Are you here? I can't set myself free. Listen, I can try to do all the stuff. You can try to do all the stuff to make things better, but there is one who changes our hearts, and that is God Almighty. There is one who delivers us, really delivers us, and sets us free, and that is God Almighty by the power of his spirit. And, and if I would have been plugged into a church, you know, an atmosphere like we had this morning as we're worshiping, in those moments, that's why, you know, I said there's healing in that as we're singing that because the presence of God is moving, and God wants to bring deliverance to your soul. Even as you're in his presence, you don't have to wait for someone to lay hands on you. The spirit of God wants to work on and in our hearts, and it's simply up to us to do what? To surrender. It's simply up to us to allow God to work in us. So ultimately here, what I want you to realize is that measured love is not to be confused with earned salvation. While our salvation is secure in in the finished work of Jesus upon the cross, our obedience will be or or should be the overflow of a heart filled with with gratitude towards our great God. The reason why I spent an hour and 20 minutes last week, and yes, I timed myself. I didn't time myself. Lewis made sure he told me, glory to God. But I would have found out anyway. Put it this way, I preached for so long, the, the computer shut off on me. They were like, he's like, Bishop, I missed like 30 seconds because I didn't know. You never preached that long. I was like, well, praise the Lord. But ultimately, what, the reason why I spent all that time, the reason why I put all of those scriptures up there, the reason why I did that is because I want you to know the reason why you serve God is not because of an eternity in hell. That's not why you serve him. You serve him purely and ultimately because of what? Because of what Jesus did. That's what takes serving God from being a duty to being a delight. You see, when I try to serve God because I'm afraid of something, then what ends up happening is what? It becomes a burden to my life. But when my motivation is love, I want you to put this in the context of marriage. Just think think about this for a moment. For those of you that are in marriages, I know you're all in here that are married. You're in amazing marriages, glory to God. So none of this applies to you. But just imagine being in a marriage that you are stuck with someone. That you just have to be with them because you're afraid you're going to lose something. Like, you know, if, you know, if whatever. You're going to lose everything you have. That's the only reason why you have to stay with them. Not because you love them. Not because they're good to you. Not because, how, do you, would you be happy at all? Everything in that marriage would be a chore. A hug? Oh, my goodness. Your arms feel like they weigh a 1,000 pounds. Like, oh, my goodness. A kiss? We won't even go past that because it won't get past there. I'm just saying. That's as far as we're going. Because what? Because that would be a terrible marriage. But when you are in love with someone, right, when there is love that is the motivation of your heart, it's not a chore to give someone a hug. You want to know know one of the things my wife loves about me the most? My hugs. 
Sometimes I'm cheap with them, you know. So, and she's like, what's up? Can I get a, you know, but, but, but it's because, but let me, let me tell you something. I want you to know something. You know why my wife loves my hugs? It's because I love hugging her. Y'all should have been like, oh, see, that, that was a good, I like that one. See, I, I earned some points there. I feel them points, glory to God. I'm just kidding. I don't do that to earn points, man. I'm just saying, the reason why I, my, my wife loves my hugs is because I love to hug her, right? I, I enjoy embracing her. It's something that, 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 that is in my heart. I told y'all the story when I, when I met my wife, you know, at, you know as, and she told, lady, she told y'all some stuff on Friday night. Hello, glory to God. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, you know, when, when, when I first met her, I couldn't do anything but talk about this woman. And I didn't even realize I was talking about her. It was just so natural. And one of my, you know, the guy that was the best man in my wedding, he was like, yo, man, you're always talking about Elaine. I'm like, shut up. I'm like, I am not. He's like, and then I started listening to myself. I'm like, man, I need to shut up myself, you know. And it was because there was love there. And what motivated me was her because of who she was. And, 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 and that's what moved. And so the same thing comes to us with our God and our Savior is that we should be motivated by love. And so here we go here. We, we, do, we do have a lot of scriptures today, but not as many scriptures as last week. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. You shouldn't say amen to that. You should love the scriptures. Glory to God. See, y'all in the flesh, man. Anyway, measured love. This is, this is the big idea I want you to get today. Measured love is vital to our growth in grace and our witness to the world. I'll say that again. Measured love is vital to our growth in grace and our witness to the world. And so while, I don't, while, while we don't earn salvation, there is something that should be happening. I should be measuring my love based upon the scriptures so that way I know that I'm growing in grace. If I'm not growing in love for God, then you know what's not happening? I'm not growing in the grace and knowledge of who God is. If you look at yourself, and now hear me when I say this, if you look at yourself next year at this time, and there have not been some changes in your life, you need to question if you're growing in grace. If you, are the, if you have the same nasty attitude, you have the same foul mouth. You have the same filthy thoughts. If you have all of that is the same, next year when you get to this time, it's because you weren't trying to walk with Jesus the way that you should. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. Now, that's something that you're going to have to, and let me tell you something. I'm going to let you know something. This is, this is where the fear part comes in. There are going to be many that are going to go into God on that last day. Many, not, not a few. There are going to be many that are going to go into him, and he's going to pay, and, he, and they're, and they're going to believe that they're going into his presence. They're going to believe that they're good with him, and he's going to tell them, part from me. I never knew you, you worker of iniquity. So you need to check your heart on that. But here's the thing. We should check ourselves. We, we, we continuously need to see that because first we should be going in grace. But can I tell you something? The world is watching you. And can I, can I tell you something even more? God wants the world to watch you. Are you here? He puts you there, as the Apostle Paul says, as an epistle. In other words, some people will never crack open the Bible until they see the Bible lived out in you. Some people will never walk into a church until they see the church manifested through you. Some people will never believe in God until they see God manifest. I mean, it's a reality here. And so God wants them to look at us. And you know what? If we're not growing in grace, guess what we're doing? We're giving a bad testimony of who God is. We're giving a bad testimony of what the gospel really is. And so the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, our affections towards God must be measured objectively. Not solely, subjectively. Our affections toward God must be measured objectively, not solely subjectively. Now, when we look at the scripture that we, that we opened up to today here, we find this, this portion of scripture, and Jesus is being questioned at the tail end of the Pharisees' endeavor to trip Jesus up. So they've been trying to trip Jesus up. They've been trying to get him to twist words. They, they've been trying to mess him up in his communication. And this scribe, what many, what many on Bible you know, scholars believe and commentators say, is that this scribe here was not like them trying to trick Jesus up. He wasn't trying to trick Jesus. He had actually heard Jesus answering questions correctly, and he was like, man, let me ask this question, because this was a big debate in, uh, among the scribes and the Pharisees and all of the religious people of, the, of those days, this question that he asked, which was, what is the most important command? That's what he's saying. When he's saying, what is the first command? What is the command that is of most importance, right? What is that? And so he's in the middle of there. He's listening to Jesus answer these questions. And so he comes and he answers the question correctly, right? And so let's read together again and we'll, and we'll walk through this rather quickly. He says, 
Then one of the scribes in verse 28, it came and having heard them reasoning together, right? This is where they get the idea. He heard them perceiving that he had answered them well. This is where he gets that idea. This is where the idea comes from. Asked him, which is the first commandment of all or the, or the commandment of most importance? Jesus answered him, the first of all commands is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all all your mind and with all your strength this is the first commandment and so what Jesus does when he goes through here is he answers him that first part that we just read there that's something called the Shema and you can write this scripture down I'm not going to put this one up here but there will be some that we're going to show in a little bit but in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 through 5 we'll look at that one a little bit later though Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4 through 5 this is where the Shema comes from it is a prayer that the Jewish people to this day still pray it's a daily prayer that they do and so what Jesus does is he goes and he goes and quotes to them in silencing the debate over the most important. There were 613 laws in the Old Testament. Now, can you just think about that? 613 laws that we had. That's the reason why, you know, Paul, I think, you know, he sums it up and he says, if you break one law, you've broke them all, right? Because there were a lot of laws that were back then that needed to be adhered to. Some of them were positive laws, do this. Others were negative laws, do not do this. 613 that you had to be concerned of every day that you didn't break. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I thank you, God, that you came and died for me because I have issues just keeping two laws. You know what I'm saying? I'm just straight up, right? Like just keeping certain things that are there. Those are difficult. But here, Jesus silenced the argument and he lets them know that the most important thing is what? He says that, that the most important thing is for us to subjectively express our love objectively. For us to subjectively express our love objectively. What do I mean by that? Well, subjective means what? It means that I, I am not, it's, it's not something that anyone else can measure. You've heard this, right? You've heard the subjective thing. God knows my heart. That's subjective. You've heard that, right? I'm looking at your life, and you don't look right at all, but God knows your heart. Yeah, and that's a scary thing for you to be saying. Because the reality is what comes from the heart, right, is manifested in my life, and so there's an issue here. And so what God wants us to do, he says here, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. He's saying internally, with everything inside of you, with everything that is subjective inside of you, with all of the stuff that's going on inside, I want you to love the Lord your God with all of that. But then he throws in this other word, he says, your strength. So he talks about these things that are emotional, that are internal, that nobody can look at and nobody can measure. See, the truth is this, nobody can measure your heart affection towards God. I can't, I can't measure your heart affection toward God. Look, when I look out here sometimes, there are, all across this room, there are people from one spectrum to the other. There are those who yell, scream, shout, lift their hands, very expressive in worship. There are others who, they, you know, they keep their hands down. You know, they, they might close their eyes. There are others, they just, they just stare at the, at, you know, at, at the projector here, and they look out there. And you know what I can't do? I can't measure your heart to know where you are with God there because I don't know. I could say, man, I wish that you would be more like, or, you know, I could say all that stuff, but that's not, I don't have the judgment to say, man, you don't love God. Oh, you don't clap your hands, you don't love God. Oh, you don't lift your hands, you don't love God. Oh, you don't yell, you don't love God. None of that is true. None of those things are factual because, first of all, I don't know what you're going through. You could be going through something that you just can't at this exact moment lift your hands. There are some moments that we come to in our life that we just can't say words, that, things, that, there's no way, that we become numb to stuff. I'm just saying, those things do happen. And so the reality is when Jesus is communicating here and when God speaks this in the Old Testament, what he is saying is, I don't want just external actions. I want something that comes from inside of you. So when I say this, what I mean is this. External adherence to God's laws are never enough. At the same time, internal affection for God falls short if they are not connected to God's clearly defined expectations of his people. I'll say that one more time. External adherence to God's laws are never enough. At the same time, internal affections for God fall short if they are not connected to God's clearly defined expectation of his people. See, here's what I want you to understand. God doesn't just want you to do things. He wants you to be motivated to do things. 
He doesn't want you to just do stuff because you have to do it. See, I, I don't have an issue with you adding a to-do list to your life. I don't have an issue with you saying, I need to get up and pray. I don't have an issue with you saying, look, I, as a matter of fact, you can ask my leaders. When I sit down with them and have conversation with them, the, the, the first two questions that I'm going to ask them is going to be, how's your personal devotion to the Lord? I'm asking them about their prayer time, and I'm asking about their word time. Now, listen, I don't go in there with a bat and be like, listen, you ain't praying enough. I don't, I'm, I don't do that. You know, I, I, I encourage them to do what? You can ask them all. I mean, you can ask them. They'll tell you if I'm lying. I encourage them all if they don't already have it. I encourage them to, to sit down, look at their calendar, look at their day, and to figure out a time. I'm asking them to put something on the agenda of their day, and that is spend time with God. I don't have an issue with that. Here's the issue. When you do that only because Bishop's asking you. When you do that only because someone other than God is calling you into it. When you do it not because of a motivation that is there that is deeper. See, that's the thing. There has to be a deeper motivation. And look, we can make all kind of sacrifices. Doesn't 1 Corinthians chapter 13 say some stuff like that? Like, you know, I, I, I can be just sounding brass because I don't have love. It says some stuff like that. Right? I, I could just be making a bunch of noise because I lack what it is that I need to have, right? I mean, that, that, that's just, that's, that's the reality. So our motivation has to be there. And so here's this. At the end of the day, we are to love God with all of our being. Our obedience must come from a heart, soul, and mind that is given to the Lord in our strength. When he talks about in our strength, he's talking about our efforts, the things that we do, which will bring us to our second point. Say this with me. Our affections toward God must be maintained personally. Our affections towards God must be maintained personally. The first and primary question in measuring our affection toward God is what does my personal devotion to Jesus look like? Any outward act of obedience must be rooted in our inward and personal devotion to the Lord. So the first question that we have to ask and thinking about all of this, because remember, I'm not just trying to, you know, just throw out information for you. I want you to really consider this. What does your personal devotion look like to the Lord? I'm going to talk to you today about some things that are really important for us to maintain personally. And then I'm going to talk about the public stuff. But I want to talk about the personal stuff. So here's what I'm asking you. What does your prayer life look like? You know, we're, we're, we're in the last day of January. Everybody has New Year's resolutions. I would hope that some of those spiritual resolutions that you want to be more spiritual this year, amen, that's a good one. But can I tell you something? You and I will never become more spiritual this year if we don't spend more time in prayer and more time in God's word. This is not going to happen. And so I challenge you in the beginning, and, and I, we'll, we'll get into this in a moment. I challenge you in the beginning of the year to do what? To look at your life and to see what you're spending your time on, right? To look at where you're investing your time. And so here's the thing. What, what is your prayer life? What does your, your time of worship look like, right? Like, like what does that look like? like I'm, not I'm, not, I'm not talking about the corporate time of worship. I'm talking about personal time of worship. What about fasting? How many of y'all love fasting? Hallelujah. Amen. Some of y'all are like, I'm fasting right now. It's almost over. Glory to God. Right? Ultimately, right, what, is, what, what, what does our personal devotion to the Lord look like? What does your scripture devotion look like? And so here's what I want you to get. Our personal relationship with the Lord is maintained by grace in our devotion to prayer, fasting, worship, and the scripture. And I love this quote from, if for, for those of you that are in our Connect Life groups, and listen, if you are not part of a Connect Life group, I so encourage you to get with Pastor Chad, get connected. It is not too late. We want, you to, we want everybody to get connected. But in our book, um, in, in the first chapter, I think it is, that we went through, there's a quote in there, and it says this. This is a quote. You should write this one down. I would if I was you. Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Did you hear that? Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Because when we think about grace sometimes, we start to think that, you know, hey, I can just do what, you know, I don't have to make any kind of effort. This is not true. Listen, there are, there, there are a lot of times that you need to have. I told you all I did it the other day. I set an alarm on my phone, and the only time that you guys do not get a text on me for our prayer times is because I was in a meeting or something like that. That's the only time my phone is dead. That's the only time. Because what? Because I had to set that on my phone so that way I would be reminded to, you know, of those prayer times. And I told you all the same. Do the same thing. Set yourself an alarm. So there's some effort that has to be there. By the way, the, the quote is by Dallas Willard is, is the person who quoted that. So grace is opposed to earning, not effort. So here's the thing. We talk about prayer, fasting, worship, and scripture devotion. So prayer. Now here, here's where we're going to start to get into some scriptures here. Look at Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to, it should be coming up here. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 through 4. 
And it says here, it says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, this is speaking of Jesus, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So what we see here from the text is that it was a natural thing for teachers, right, to teach their disciples how to pray. It's something else that we do here, right? When we're on the prayer calls, you are learning, whether you realize it or not, you're learning how to pray, right, by being on those calls. The way that I learned to pray was obviously by doing what? Two things. Number one, pray. Hello. Right? I love this testimony someone was giving. I forget who it was, but they were talking about their, in their church, they were, trying to, they were trying to get people to start interceding, right? And this church was a, was a large church. You know, they had, you know, I, I, I want to say it was close to, you know, a thousand people on a Sunday, you know, something like that. It was a big church. And they decided that they were going to do like, you know, a time of prayer and it's it, a week of prayer or something like that. And when they went to do this week of prayer, you know, the first night there was probably like 70 people that showed up. Now, listen, in comparison to numbers, that's, like, terrible, right? So, like, some people, like, 70-some people showed up. By the end of the week, there's probably, like, you know, 15 people that were there, something like that. I don't have the numbers down. I didn't memorize this. It's just right here for you now. But then he said that, you know, as he, as he progressed forward, he, was, he wanted to, you know, have an intercession time throughout the, you know, once a week. And so they had a room where intercession was, and so somebody came and knocked on the door, and they said, hey, is this the place where they're teaching intercession? And he was like, we're not going to teach intercession. We're going to intercede. Now, here's what I want you to get. You're not going to learn to pray if you don't pray. I'm just saying. It's just not. You could sit there and listen to every person on the planet pray, and you're not going to begin to exercise and feel confident in praying if you don't start to do it, right, in communication with the Lord. And so disciples you know, or, or the teachers or leaders, they would teach their disciples to pray. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everything everyone who is indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one and so what I want you to realize is that Jesus disciples saw something in him I believe this because it seems like this seems when you when you read the Matthew and Luke um, context it seems like Jesus already taught on prayer they were there the first time but now these guys come to him a second time because they're watching him pray and they're seeing something in his prayer that is moving them and they're like man teach us to pray Show us how to commune with the Father. And the first thing he does, he says, to, to do what? To say, our Father. And what is that our Father? What does our Father do? I, I want you to get this. If you don't get anything else on prayer, understand this. What our Father does is it shows that you and I are in a relationship with God Almighty. It shows, listen, when you come to God, and, and, and here's a sad reality. I wish that I could say that I'm the most approachable dad every single moment of my day. I'm not. I'd be lying to say that I was. I try to be. But the truth is, I'm just not always the most approachable. And some of you have worse experiences than I would say my daughter has with me not being approachable all the time. And so when you think about approaching a father, it's, it's, it's messed up sometimes. But can I tell you something? Forget about all of that inability. I think I shared this last week. Inability to approach a father on earth. Know this. Your heavenly father never has a sour face. He's never too tired. He's never thinking about other stuff. His mind isn't somewhere else because, you know, he's amazing, right? All-knowing, omniscient. He's always available. And what he wants you to know is that he invites you to come into his presence because of what his son did, and he calls you into his presence as a son or as a daughter. And so communication with the Lord, prayer, should be the most natural response in, in a believer that a believer has to their God. And so we see Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We see here that um, Jesus' disciples asked them to teach him to pray. I love this, the book of Acts. I told you all that I went through the book of Acts as we were in our time of prayer before I did the first sermon of the new year. Throughout the book of Acts, we find that the church was given. Given, say given. They didn't just have prayer meetings. They didn't just pray at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sundays or 10, 15. You know, sometimes it happens like that. They didn't just pray at that time. They were given to prayer. That was their life, right? They were in prayer consistently, consistently seeking the face of the Lord. That's what they did. And so, he, so this is what we find out throughout the book of Acts. I mean, everybody wants, I don't know about you. Let, let, let's just do a quick poll here. I want you to raise your hand. How many of y'all want to see the things that you, that you read about in the book of Acts in the earth now? Raise your hand if that's you. Come on, I keep it up. Don't be ashamed. It's, it's okay to do this. It's not, it's not a trick question. Right? I'm not going to, you know, can you put them down now? So that was most of the hands in this building. Now listen, the, the hands that may have not been up is because you maybe haven't read the book of Acts, and that's okay. I encourage you to do that. Then your hand will be up. 
Because when you see the book of Acts, you see the most amazing move of the Spirit of God. But can I tell you something that is intertwined in almost every single chapter in the book of Acts? It is prayer. They were always seeking God. And can I tell you something? I can promise you that we don't even see half of the prayer that they actually did. I'm talking about private devotion. Fasting. Amen. Somebody say fasting. I want to give you one more scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. We got that one? 1 Thessalonians 5.17, this is what the scripture says, pray without. So we ought to be in prayer at all times, right? Continuously communing with the Lord. Fasting. Now this one, abstinence from food with a spiritual purpose is not as natural as prayer, but just as vital to our spiritual growth. Someone say amen. Look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 24 to 25. Jesus is speaking about, speaking as they came and they're questioning about fasting. He said, he said to them, make room for the girl, for the girl is not, is that the right scripture? Did I give you the wrong scripture? I gave you the wrong scripture. Anyway, I'll tell you what the scripture says. It's not that scripture, but I gave him the wrong one. But what Jesus, Jesus was questioned, right? I can't even tell you where it is right now, but that's all right, though. Just don't do that one. Forget that scripture, all right? That had nothing to do with it. If you're taking notes, just forget about that one. Um, but ultimately, what Jesus, Jesus is being questioned by the disciples of John, right? And they're asking him, why don't your disciples fast? And Jesus goes back and he tells him, he says, listen, he said, while the bridegroom is with the, 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 the people there, they, they're not going to fast because he's with them. But he says, but there will be a time when what? There's going to be a time when the fasting, right, is, is going to be necessary because the bridegroom is no longer going to be there. And what Jesus was talking about, he was talking about a future time when, when he ascends into heaven at that moment. They didn't need to fast because he was with them. But when they went to heaven, guess what? There was going to be fasting that was going to happen. All right, let's see if I got the next scripture right. Hopefully I did. Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1 through 3. I want you to see this. Acts chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Now in the church there that was at the, the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manain, who had been brought up with, the, with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And it says, and as they ministered to the Lord and, come on, say it louder. There you go. As they, everybody, everybody wants to minister to the Lord. Nobody wants to fast. Here's the thing. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, guess what? The Holy Spirit said. Now, now I want you to, I, I love this scripture. I want you to realize what's occurring here. It does not say that the Holy Spirit spoke through someone. Now, now I, I'm going to just read the text for what it says. Because it does not say that someone got up and said, thus says the Lord. It says, the Holy Spirit said. Now, what I want you to get is that God can speak, and he doesn't need to speak through me or you. Are you here? Now, he speaks through people all the time. I get that. But I want you to see the power in a, in a church that is ministering to the Lord. And I'm not saying, oh, because they fasted, the Lord spoke like that. That's not what I'm saying. I just want you to see what occurred. Is that the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. I want you to get that. That God, I mean, I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I would love to be in a prayer meeting somewhere, and all of a sudden, the breath of God just enters to the room, and God begins to speak and tell us stuff. Wouldn't that be awesome? Like, there was no question that Saul and Barnabas were called to ministry. Were there any question? No question. Like, other people get called to ministry, like, I don't know about that, but there was no question here. No question. The Holy Ghost spoke, and so that was it, right? And so we find them fasting and praying, and that's how they did that. Look at um, chapter 14 and verse 23. And it says here, it says, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with, y'all read it with me, come on now. Y'all don't want to say that word, I know. Listen, just say it, it's okay. They commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so here's the thing. Fasting was something that the church did, right? It was something that was an exercise. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, 5 and in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. 27, we're not going to look at those, but um, he, he shows that fasting was part of his life. The Apostle Paul gives fasting. Now look at this, 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 5. It says here in, in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 5, it says, Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to? There you go. Y'all got it. Glory to God. And prayer. And come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, obviously, for those of you that don't know, he is talking about sex here, okay? And what he's saying is the only time you deprive, you, you know, you deprive one another from sexual relations is for what? It's for this, not because you're mad. 
This is for married folk, right? If you're not married, cover your ears. I'm just kidding, right? But what I want you to get is that he's saying the only time that you deprive, the only time that you say no, not because I have a headache. Glory to God. Amen. He said it is for fasting and prayer. Now, listen, y'all don't take that way. Don't need to go. I'm just, all right. What I'm saying is this is what Paul says. He say, he's saying you can fast and pray. You ain't going to be fasting and praying forever. Hello? But he's saying there should be a time of fasting and prayer. There should be a time that we are seeking God's face, and so we should be fasting. So I don't know about y'all. I mean, listen, listen, there's no command like you have to fast. But the scripture shows that something that was going on, and there should be some times that you separate yourself under God, that you say no to food, and you say no to, you know, to, to the pleasures of this world. And let me just say this about fasting. Fasting is not just not eating. What I mean by that is that people be like, well, I'm not eating, so I'm fasting, but, I, but you're watching TV, playing video games, doing all kinds of stuff. That's, not, that, that's starving. That's what that is. That is not fasting. God is not honored in that, like, yo, man, I am hungry. Uh-huh, all by yourself. The Lord is nowhere with you except calling you repent because you've been starving for no reason. It's got to be fasting and prayer. And then there's other things, you know, like that people get into. I, I, you know, I did this in the past, and then, you know, in Bible college, um, you know, I learned about fasting. And biblical fasting is abstinent from food and water. Now, let me say this. There's, you know, there's a fast called the Daniel Fast, and some people do that. And I, and I have to say this, and look, y'all forgive me if you participate in this. A lot of people do it the first, you know, 21 days of the year. And for me, it's more like a diet than a fast. I'm just saying, that's how it happens. Now I'm, not, now, I'm not negating because there are some people that take it seriously. Like, there are some people, those 21 days, they're on their face before God, and I believe that God is honored in that. Amen? And let me say something else about the Daniel fast. I will say this. There are some people who cannot abstain from food because they're diabetic. They could die, you know, things like that. They have certain health issues. And so what I encourage is if you cannot fast fully, then what you should do is you should try a Daniel fast and say, you know what? I can't not eat meals because, you know, I have issues. But you know what I can do? I can abstain from meat, sugars, amen. And, and listen, you know, you know let, let me tell you something else I don't like about the Daniel fast. They added fruit to that. Daniel wasn't eating fruit. He was eating vegetables. So kick the fruit out, and let's get with the Daniel fast. Amen? <laughs> Glory to God. Because fruit tastes too good, man. You, eat, you are not fasting if you're just eating fruit, right? Like, like you're eating bananas. I just think about that, right? Apples, like that's amazing stuff. Like I don't feel like I'm fasting doing that. There's people called vegetarians that do that. Glory to God. Anyway, so we'll move on from there. But, but, but fasting is a discipline, right? It's something that beats your body into submission. The next thing is worship, right? Turn to, um, well, we're going to look up here to John chapter 4, verse 19 through 25. This is scripture here that is very, very familiar. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking. I love that, is seeking. Look, there's not a lot of place in your Bible that you're going to find that the Father is seeking something. Are you hearing me? Like when you see something that God is looking for something, I, I encourage you to pay attention, right? Like pause for a moment and say, hold on a second. God is seeking something. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And so what we find here, especially in verses 21 to 24, is that Jesus emphasizes personal, intimate, and the biblically correct way to worship God, which is what? In spirit and truth. Amen. Worship is not about a location as much as it is what? It is about a relationship. It is about worshiping from your heart. Again, it goes back to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. It is about loving God with all of your soul from your inner being, not just exter exterior stuff. And then in truth, when he's talking about in truth, what is he saying? He's not just talking about the truth of like my mind and my heart. He's talking about the truth of scripture as well. I can't just worship God like I want to worship him. I have to worship God the way that he calls me to worship him. I can't sacrifice stuff that I want to sacrifice and not the things that God calls me to sacrifice. Amen? And so what we find here is that worship is also a very integral part of us growing in our relationship with the Lord. But I want to say this, worship is not just private, it is also public, and we'll deal with that on our next point. And then the last one is scripture devotion. 
Now, scripture devotion is important. I want to say this and get this with me. Submission to God's word as the highest authority in our lives is the most vital component to our personal relationship to the Lord. Let me say this. I just talked about prayer. I just talked about fasting. I just talked about worship. But what I want, to, I want you to know is this, is that scripture devotion is the most important part of us growing in our relationship with God. Why? Because prayer is not necessarily going to make you read your Bible. Fasting is not necessarily going to make you read your Bible. Worship is not necessarily going to make you read your Bible. But let me tell you something. Reading the scriptures and being in the word of God is going to make you worship. Being in the scriptures and knowing what God said, it'll call you into fasting. Being in the scriptures and seeing what God said is going to teach you how to pray and lead you to pray. And so if you abandon the scripture devotion, there's a problem. And here's the thing. Scripture has to be the highest authority, not just some authority, but the highest authority within our lives. And so we'll go through these scriptures really quickly. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. And it says here, it says, now this is the commandment. I told you that we would go over this. And these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you, you and your sons and your grandsons, all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. And it says, therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now here it is. This is the Shema that Jesus repeated. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Did you see that? You see how important the Word of God is? First of all, it's important for us, but it's also, if you're a parent in here, understand this. It is important for you to do everything you can. Listen, there is no such thing, hear me when I say this, there is no such thing as being too spiritual. Now, that's in context, right? You understand what I'm saying? There's some people that are flaky. That's too spiritual. I'm not talking about that. But there's no such thing as someone being too considered or, or too, too conscious of the word of God. There's no such thing as someone being, having their mind so much on God's word that that's too much. No, what God says is everything you do, diligently teach them. Talk to them, right? He said, you shall talk to them when you sit down. So when you sit down, when you sit down, everywhere you sit down. Wherever you sit down, in your house, you should do that. When you walk by the way, so everywhere you go walking, you should be talking to them about Jesus. When you lie down, even when you go to bed, you should be talking about Jesus. When you rise up, the first thing that should come out of your mouth is praises to God. I'm just saying, right? I mean, this is what the scripture's saying. This is not what some pastor made up one day. This is what God the Father inspired for us. So we are supposed to have the word of God the highest authority. God commands the children of Israel concerning the importance of keeping and passing on the word of God. Look at Joshua 1.8. You all know this scripture, right? In communication, Joshua, look what he said. He said, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good. How many of y'all want to be prosperous and successful? You know, I don't preach that prosperity garbage, but can I tell you something? You want to prosper? Obey God's word. Simple. But you want to know what? You're not going to obey God's word if you're not in God's word. You're not going to do what God says if you're not in his word. And so it's important for us to get that. He told Joshua, this is what you need to do. Look at, um, look at um, John chapter 15 and verse 7. This just confirms this, right? If you abide in me, Jesus speaking, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Why is that that Jesus gives us? It's almost like he gives us a blank check. It says, you will ask what you desire. You know why? Because he knows that if your word is inside, if his word is inside of you, you're not going to be asking for crazy stuff. Right? It's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, someone, like if my wife gives me a check and she says, here, babe, you know, it's a blank check, right? You know, you're going to go to the store, you're going to go buy something. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ask her, babe, how much can I spend? Right? 
Because my eyes, right, I mean, um, we, we were yesterday in the men's meeting, and, and Brother Renard brought up the scripture, you know, the eyes of man are never satisfied. I'm, I'm just saying, I walk into a store, and I could just keep buying and buying and buying, right? But if I know that I have a certain budget, guess what I'm going to do? I ain't going to be looking at all that stuff because I can't buy it. I'm going to do what? I'm going to use what I have. And when, when God's word is in my heart, you know what we know? We know what we can write on the check and what we can't. And what he says is that when you write on that check, in other words, when you ask me something that is according to my word, it is going to come to pass. It is going to happen. Amen? Amen. And the last one here that we'll look at when he's talking about God's word, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. This one you should know as well. Say, all scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's the theonupstos, the breathed in, the divinely breathed in word of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Look at this. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for what? For every good work. Right, what did we talk about earlier, Ephesians 2.10? We've been created in Christ Jesus for good works. And so we have this same thing. It is the word of God that equips us. You want to fulfill the will of God? Then the word of God has to be inside of you. In order for us to be fruitful in our service unto the Lord, our personal devotion must be maintained by the grace of God and our spiritual discipline. This is the reality. We have to be in prayer. We have to be in the word. We have to be in worship. We have to fast. We have to sacrifice our flesh. That's just something that we have to do. And the last point that I'll make here, say this with me, say, our affections toward God must be manifested publicly. See, everything we do outwardly for the glory of God is in obedient response to the word of God is ultimately an act of worship. Look at Titus 3 and verse 14. What we, what, we, what we understand, I said that worship was not just private, right? Worship is something that is public. And, and what, what, what Paul, the apostle Paul tells Titus to the church says, and let, your, and let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. And so for all of our lives, what do we want to do? We want to be fruitful in the things of the Lord. We want to do what God has called us to do. And what we have to do is we have to be committed to what? To maintain. It's not just about just feeling something. It's a maintaining those good works, doing the things that God has called us to do. And so under the general, under the general call to worship, right? Because everything we do in obedience is worship under God. Worship, I say this, I, I shared this story before. For like the first eight years, my wife probably told me it was nine. I don't really remember. Maybe it was 10. I have no idea but for a long time I'm gonna say it like that I never and when I say this I'm not exaggerating this is terrible for me to confess this but I'll confess it anyway I never washed a dish in my house I wash dishes now amen the Lord dealt with me right it took a long time glory to God <laughs> You know, this morning, this morning my wife was 30 minutes, she was ready 30 minutes earlier that it was time for us to leave the house, right? And she said, it only took 18 years. It only took me like nine years to wash a dish, right? You know, so I beat her to the punch anyway, glory to God. Here's the, here, 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 here's the thing. When I got delivered from this worship thing and, and, and washing dishes is when the Holy Spirit was like, hey, you know serving your wife is an act of worship to me. I was like, well, let me wash some dishes, glory to God. Amen, right? And it blesses her, but it's an act of worship. So everything I do in obedience to the Lord is worship, right? So that's what we do. It's not just the songs that we sing. It is the life that we live. That's, that, that's what worship is. And so under the general call to worship through our obedience to the scriptures, we find two major outward demonstrations of our affection toward the Lord. And here's what I want you to get before I tell you what these two things are. The one thing that I want you to realize is that when I sat down and I thought about this point, I was like, man, how can I like show them? I mean, because I could sit here and I could talk about marriage, but not everybody here is married. I could talk about being, you know, a child, but not everybody lives at home. I could talk about being a parent, but not everybody has kids. And so what was I going to talk about that was going to make sure that everybody, everybody has to respond to this? No matter whether you're male, female, no matter whether you're married or single, no matter whether you're a parent or a child, no matter what, these are things that God's word calls us to do in our act of worship unto him. And it was two things. And one of them was, was the act of baptism. That was the first one. That's something that everybody, no matter what you are, whether you're male, female, whether you're single, married, whether you're kids, or don't, it doesn't matter. If you make a commitment to Christ, guess what you should do? You should be baptized. What is, and what does baptism do? Let me show you what baptism does real quickly. We'll go through these scriptures. Baptism 
is an external sign that or an external sign that the scripture calls every confessing believer in Jesus to participate in. So look at this, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Jesus says this. He says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." And the next scripture here, we see Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And so Peter is preaching this message and it's after the Holy Spirit comes down and as Peter's preaching this message, what he does is the people come to Peter and they tell him they say, "Listen, they say we, we, what, what do we need to do? And he calls them to do what? He says to repent and be baptized for the remission of sin. This is what he says. So immediately the response is what? It is for them to repent of their sin and then connectedly they are to be baptized in water. So it's an open thing that should be happening here. And then we see, and then we see the last place here, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. And so it says here, it says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross and so what does Paul do here what Paul does is he reminds us of what Jesus does on the cross for us. He reminds us of what the Holy Spirit has done in our heart. In the Old Testament, and, I, and, and we should thank God for this, that this is not a New Testament practice. In the Old Testament, if you were a believer in God and you were a male, you had to be circumcised no matter how old you were. Hello, somebody. All right, like that was something that had to happen, right? So glory to God, we come to Jesus now, and you know what? We don't have to be circumcised because God does what? He circumcised our heart. He cuts away that, the foreskin of our heart. He removes that flesh, but he ties this connection between baptism and circumcision. Why? Because in the old covenant, circumcision was this proof that you were a believer. In the new, in the new covenant, you know what shows that you were a believer? Baptism. Are you hearing me? It was when you were baptized, because that's the reason why they called him into that, because you were saying, look, I'm making allegiance to this God in whose name I'm being baptized. And so baptism is the, is the other one. And then the second thing was this, it was, it was giving. And so our clearest sign of our worship and our affection towards God is giving. And giving can and should be measured in three areas, our time, our talent, and our treasure. So whenever we think about giving, we always think about treasure. And you know why? That just shows that there's an issue there sometimes in our heart because we're always afraid someone's going to try to take our money. Can I help you get delivered from that? You ain't got no money. The money ain't yours. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Hello, somebody. And all they who dwell in it. So even you, you're not even your own. Hello. And so the reality is, but we'll talk about money at the end, but I want you to get delivered from that mindset and realize that everything that you have belongs to him anyway. Anything that you have is only because he gave it to you. He lent it to you for you to do what? For you to bring glory to him through what he's entrusted you with. And so let's look at time really quick. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse, and verse 15 through 16. It says this. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming. Say redeeming. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. And so the first thing that we should be giving is we should be giving our time. We are, we are to walk wisely or accurately. In other words, we are supposed to be a representation of Jesus at all times. Say all times. There's, there, there's no moment that you can check in your Jesus card and say, well, I'm going to be a heathen right now. No. But Bishop, you said we were sinners last week. I told you you didn't have an excuse to be sinning. Hello. Get this. There's never a time that you should feel like, well, I'm on my time. You're not on your time ever. You're just wasting God's time. Did you hear that? It's never your time. It's never like, well, I'm just doing, no, 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 you're wasting God's time. When you're doing your thing and you're not doing his thing, you're wasting time. Because we're called not to walk as fools, but circumspectly, wisely, redeeming. I love the way this word redeem. It means to do something with intensity and urgency. Listen, what, here's what I want you to get. What I want you to understand is that people are really dying right now. People are really starting eternity in hell right now. Get that for a moment. People are really experiencing that. And we're over here worried about, man, I, 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 I'm not even going to say that. I'm not going to use that because, you know, it might hurt someone's feelings. But here's the thing. We're over here doing all of our stuff. All of our things, wasting time instead of doing what? Instead of being focused in on spending our time bringing glory and honor to God. 
bringing him glory, using that time with intensity, understanding, okay, God, we only have, listen, there's only a certain period of time that we have on this earth. There's only a certain period of time that we have in people's lives. Are you here? I mean, some of you have had people that have died, you know, just, just it, it, was, it wasn't expected. And you, and you see it, if you're on Facebook or anything like that, you see when someone dies unexpectedly, people start getting this revelation. You really need to, you know, and listen, I'm not trying to be insensitive. You might have been one of those people. I don't know. I didn't read any of y'all's posts. But here's the thing. People start getting all, you know, you know, you really need to take time, you know, for the people in your life. Hold on a second. The Bible says to redeem the time. If we as Christians look at redeeming the time, then we're going to be able to do what? Do what the scriptures say. Let's look at our talents really quickly. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. So our time is of the Lord's, right? And then we look at our, our talents. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious. I love it. Here we go again. Be serious and watchful. Why? And, and I want to pause for a moment because realize what I just said about redeeming the time. It flows right into our talents because what? Because of the times that we're living in. Now, these scriptures were written a long time ago. Say a long time ago. And he said this, he says, but the end of all things is at hand. In other words, since that time, the end has been at hand. We don't know, we're not sure when Jesus is going to return. And so, so he says, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. And then he talks about our gifts in the next part of the verse. He says, and each one has received a gift. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Now, pause for a moment. I want you to notice what it said here. It didn't say, as some of you have received the gift. See what it says? As each one has received a gift. So there's no one in here. I don't care who you are. I don't care how you feel about yourself. You may not know what those gifts are, and this will be a good moment to plug Wednesday night. Wednesday night, we have our, our, our phase three of our vision, of, of our um, a mentoring program, and Pastor Aldo is going to teach that, and what he's going to be teaching there for nine weeks straight is what? He's going to be teaching on these gifts that God has given us. And so if you are not sure of where you have been gifted, I encourage you to clear your schedule. I encourage you to be here at 7 o'clock. He'll be done by 8 o'clock, and you can learn for nine weeks about the different gifts that God has given us so that way you can say, no, I am one of those each ones there and, act, and not act like, well, it's not me. No, God is talking to you, and here's what I want you to get. As good stewards, say good stewards. In other words, someone who's been entrusted with something, someone who is going to give an account for something, right, that we are good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers or serves, let him do it with all, uh, let it do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we've all been given talents as children of God. We have all been gifted and must commit our gifts to God's glory, God's use, the edification of God's people, and the evangelization of the lost. And here's the last one, our treasure that we're looking at. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 9. It says here, it says, Moreover, brethren, we, know, we, we, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, and yes, beyond their ability, they were freely willing, say freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first, say first, they first <clears throat> gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. And so notice the progression. They didn't come and get all committed to the work. They didn't come and get all committed to the apostles. First of all, they gave themselves to who? To the Lord. They gave themselves unto the Lord and then to them. And he says, so we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all, in, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. For you know that, you, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Do we not have a good Savior? 
We're not, we're not going to look at, at 2 Corinthians 9, um, 6-11, but write that scripture down. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-11. That's, that, that's the portion of scripture where the Bible tells you that you should give joyfully, right? Don't give grudgingly, you know, and, and, and it speaks about sowing sparingly and sowing bountifully and reaping bountifully or reaping sparingly. It, it speaks about all of those things. And here's what I want you to understand is that we should be giving our time, we should be giving our talent, but we should also be giving of our treasure. Give, give, uh, give, the, 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 the scripture that we looked at here along with um, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11 gives us the clearest New Testament standard for giving of our finances. Here's what, here's what he said in the end there, right, and, and I believe it's in verse 7. He says we should be growing in the area of giving as we grow in awe of what Jesus did for us. It should compel us to give more of our time, more of our talent, and more of our treasure. This is what should be happening in us, church, is that the same way that these people were moved by the Spirit of the Lord because they understood the gospel to do what? To give their life. And then after they gave their life, they were literally begging to give. Pastor Chad's about to get up here. How many of y'all going to beg to give? Like, God, I, I want to give. You know, they, they, they didn't even have to give. And they were moved to give because of what? Because they understood the gospel. Because they were motivated by the right thing. And so here's the reality. The reality for us is that if we're going to measure our love outwardly, we measure our love by what? What am I doing with my time? Ask yourself that question again. We started at the beginning of the year. I challenge you. I challenge you again. What do you do with your time? How much of your time do you spend investing in the kingdom? The second thing is, what are you doing with your talents? God has given you gifts. If you're not sure what they are, come on Wednesday night. If you know what they are, then listen, you need to talk to someone in leadership so you can use your gifts for the glory and the honor of God. Obviously, there's processes to that, but God wants to use you. Amen? And for your treasure, listen, the money that God has entrusted you with, know that you can be a good steward and you should be a good steward. And listen, I want to say this. You shouldn't give because you have to. You should give because you get to. You shouldn't give because someone is up here saying, hey, you got to give, you got to give, you got to give. You shouldn't give because someone said, hey, you got to give 10% or you're going to be cursed. You shouldn't give. That, 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 those are not the reasons for you to give. You give because God gave to you first because the scripture said what? It says Jesus who was rich became poor so we could become rich. You see, we give, and he, and he said, Paul said, I don't speak to you out of commandment. I speak to you testing your sincerity based on other people. And not just other people, but on what Jesus did for us. And so the question for us is this, and this is my closing question for you. How does your affection for God, based upon his standards, measure up? We talk about prayer. We talk about fasting. We talk about worship. We talk about all of these different things, the scripture devotion. We talk about, you know, if you haven't been baptized, you haven't made a commitment to Christ. You know, what is it? What is it look like to you? Are you walking in the devotion to Jesus that you should? That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Are we, are we measuring our lives by the standards of Scripture? Are we measuring our lives based on someone else? Are we measuring our lives based upon what God calls us to do or what we feel like doing? How are we measuring our lives, and how is your life measuring up? And listen, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're sitting in here today, and you're feeling smaller and smaller, and as I'm talking about prayer, and as I'm talking about these different components um, to our spiritual life, and you feel like, man, I don't pray, and I definitely don't fast. Man, I'm not in the Word. I don't worship God. If you're saying all that stuff, you know what God does? God invites you into his presence, so that way you can do what? So you can be delivered from that condemnation, and you can begin by his grace to do what? To bring him glory and to bring him honor. Amen? Let's all stand on our feet. Let us pray together. Glory to God. All right. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your goodness toward us, God. We thank you for your grace that is abundant. We thank you for your mercy that is abundant. We thank you, God, because there is no one who is like you, Lord. And Father, this morning as we come before you, I just pray for those in here that felt a condemnation over their hearts, Lord God, because they're not walking in these disciplines, Lord. I, I pray that you would liberate them from that, and I ask you that they would run to you, not from you, God. I pray that they would turn to you for your grace, that they would turn to you in repentance and humility, and that they would trust you with all of their lives, God. I pray for those in this place that need to know you, Heavenly Father, that don't walk with you, that are not in a relationship with you. I pray that you would break the chains off of their lives. I pray that you would bring them into a relationship with you. I pray that they would commit their hearts, that they would commit their lives, that they would submit themselves unto you, Lord God. I pray that you, Heavenly Father, would draw them unto you in a 
fruitful and abundant relationship, God. And I, and I pray for us, dear Lord, that are measuring our lives, that are, that are looking at these scriptures, that, that are looking at these disciplines. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we will continue to grow in our devotion to you with our time. I pray that we will continue to grow in our devotion to you with our talents. I pray that we will continue to grow in our devotion to you with our treasure, my God. I pray that our prayer lives, Lord God, that our worship life, that our discipline and fasting, my Lord, that our devotion to scripture, that those things, Lord God, would continue to grow in us, my Lord. Father, I pray that we would be the people that you've called us to be and that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of who you are as you desire to raise us up for your glory and for your honor, God. We thank you for this, Lord, and we pray these things in Jesus' good name. Someone said, come on, give God a hand of praise. He's worthy.